Welcome back to Bread and Butter, everybody, where we're serving up the basics for Hearthstone improvement in episode 62. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Tito. Tito, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic, Doc. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. And listeners, we have a very, very special guest. Uh, they don't get much more special than this. We have current world champion, Pocket Train. Pocket Train, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for being on. Uh, so, Pocket Train, what have you been doing inside of Hearthstone recently? Uh, so, I mean, lately the meta's not been completely my cup of tea. But so, when I've been streaming, I've been deck rouletting all the like most of the top decks. A few rubbishish decks thrown in there just to spice it up a bit. But lately, I've tuned it down to more more the the meta decks, just rouletting at High Legend. It's not been too too tedious. It's, it gets a bit dull when you just uh, spam one deck over and over again. So a bit of variety in there. It's been quite nice. Nice. Uh, Tito, how about yourself? So I've been, like I, I've, I said last week, I've been trying to get, for the first time, Legend on all three regions. And I did the uh, Asia on day one. I did the Americas, I think, within the first week or so. And I have been struggling from D5 to D1 in Europe for some reason. Uh, we've been doing that dance where we go up and down, up and down. Um, I don't know why I'm doing this to myself three times, because normally the anxiety of that once is enough. But I'm kind of going to stick with it, so I'm going to try to get there in the end. But I'm having fun. I mean, I'm winning. I'm playing well. Uh, it's just, you know, putting it all together. But how about yourself, Doc? What have you been up to? Uh, Just... uh. Playing BGs and more BGs because I don't really like where the meta's at right now. And with the with the nostalgia that's coming with the next expansion, I'm just kind of holding all my like desire to play for that so I can just vomit Hearthstone play forever in this upcoming expansion because it just it just looks so good. And I was thinking about something, Tito, because you said you're rubber banding in Diamond 5 and 1 on Europe. Some would say that's because Diamond 5 through 1 in Europe, is legend everywhere else. Oh, fair, fair, fair. But unfortunately for us, um, America usually has been coming in second or third in most of the Masters (laughs) Tour and other competitive play over the last few years. So, you know. But then again, at least we Mm. don't have all the bots in Asia, so. (laughs) Shots fired, (laughs) though. Uh, So, outside of the game, uh, Pocket, what have you been doing outside of Hearthstone? Uh, I mean, recently a lot of my time has been taken up streaming Hearthstone, so I haven't been uh, doing a whole lot. I uh, I've gone out to see some friends that I haven't seen in a while because I was uh, spending a lot of time last year just on the ladder grind. So uh, just like going out here and there, seeing people. But yeah, it's been a while. Um, apart from that, not much to to shout about. It's just uh, just chilling, streaming, and then yeah, going out once in a while. Not too much. Nice. How about yourself, Tito? Um, not a ton. Uh, I was just telling you guys a little bit about this, but my grandson is about to go to Disney World because he has cystic fibrosis and uh, he's in the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And the whole thing with cystic fibrosis is that medicine's getting better. People are living longer, which is fantastic. It's causing Make-A-Wish Foundation to say, well, we're not going to deal with cystic fibrosis anymore. That's not terminal as it used to be, which is great, but they got in just at the last opportunity because that ends in June. And my wife was wanted to go, but you know, it's 
another trip to Disney World is expensive. But then she was able to look and she found that her for her points that she had for Southwest or whatever, it was only going to cost $22 to fly down there. So she's going to take my son there next week and we're going to surprise him. Normally, we've always wanted to surprise the kids and stuff, but it's hard to keep a trip like that for her because she does a lot of planning. So it would be hard for her to actually not say anything. But since it's only a week, we're going to go visit my parents and then we're going to go. I'm going to drop them off at a hotel near the um, the airport. And uh, then he's going to surprise. Hey, tomorrow you're going to Disney World and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited for him. But I'm going to take that opportunity to actually uh, stream a little bit more since I don't have to go to Taekwondo. I'm not going to have to get up as early and all that. So I'm going to see if I can make a little push on my stream and maybe have a little uh, launch of Tito 2.0. I'm looking into that. So we'll see how that goes. But Doc, how about yourself? What have you been up to? Uh, Yeah, so not a novel like usual. Um, But I went to a book signing uh, down in Orem, Utah, uh, because there was a book I had recently got called Sky's End that I really enjoyed and found out that the author lives in Utah and doesn't live too far from me. I missed the book signing he had in the town that I live in. So I drove like an hour to go to go to this book signing. It was really cool. He was very nice. He loved my theory about the main character's mom and a separate character. Um, I won't get specific in case people want to read, um, but it was cool to meet the author. I've never done a book signing, like gone to a book signing before. So it was just really cool to see someone do that wrote something that I enjoyed. Um, I bought a new commander deck for magic. It's uh, slivers and um, they're disgustingly uh, synergistic. So it was very fun. And then I've actually been playing a lot of the new hit game. Helldivers Two. I've been doing that too. Um, oh, heck yeah. I got it it's yesterday. just, Oh, nice. Mm. It's just, it's just crazy. Like it's, it's basically Starship Troopers, the game oh, yeah. with like some Halo like thrown in there and stuff. Uh, but it's PV- PVE only squad shooter versus giant bugs and Terminators and so much fun. And there's friendly fire. You can blow each other up like it's it's a bunch of fun. Um, and then I got Cortland caught up through season one of the anime Jujutsu Kaisen. So now we're starting season two of that. Um, so that should be, should be a good time, but that's basically everything I've done. Um, I've done outside of Hearthstone. When you said you did something novel and went to a book signing, were you intentionally trying to make that pun or did that just no, happen accidentally? No, it's just cause usually the segment of mine is like several minutes long. So it was not an intentional pun. What you were saying about going to see, uh, your favorite author. I have a, a, a quick story, which, um, I went to go see my favorite author in Boston, uh, Tad Williams. He is, he's written a lot of good books. Um, in fact, one of his book series is, is about to be made. I think on Amazon is called other land. They're going to make a series out of it, which is fantastic. But, um, I was going to see him, but at the time I also had kidney stones. Um, so I had a, a an appointment with my doctor that day and then the doctor scheduled a x-ray where they had to put dye through my system the next day. And they had me drink something that was supposed to, you know, help, you know, get me ready for that. Yeah. But I was I wasn't going to skip the book signing. And we were also going to my favorite restaurant at the time, which was called Fire and Ice, which was one of those uh, you you pick your food, you bring it up, they grill it up in the middle. Um, the, the not Korean barbecue, but it's like I, I forget what it's called, but like you, you pick sauce, you pick your meats, you pick your veggies, they grill it all up, you put it. It's great. 
Um, and then we went to the book signing. It was rough. It was a rough time, but it was still worth it. <laughs> but, but anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk to our guests. So how about we get to know our guests a little bit better? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So uh, Pocket, um, how'd you get started in gaming and what started you on Hearthstone specifically? Um, I think they're kind of one in the same. So when I was much younger, my dad used to play World of Warcraft with his brother and uh, a friend of theirs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'd, I'd see them playing and I'd get all jealous. So I'd always want to play. And then I got into that a bit too addicted, like when I was supposed to be, you know, at school. Um, well, I was at school, but when I get home, I just that's all I'd want to do. Um, and then I saw they'd release a card game. I thought, OK, I'll try it out. And uh, yeah, hooked immediately. Uh, that's, that's pretty much yeah. And then <laughs> never looked back. To be honest, it's been my my go to game ever since since it came out. I've been playing Hearthstone for ten years now. I've, I I got into the closed beta. I remember getting all excited. I was at school. I got an email on my phone and uh, running home to to log in straight away. And then went three three on my first arena run. I thought I was great. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've just been hooked on the game since, to be honest, and uh, never really expected it to get this quite this out of hand, but uh, no regrets. <laughs> yeah. uh, so what got you into competitive Hearthstone? Um, that was like, I always used to watch it like throughout the years. I'd, I'd watch basically every tournament I could possibly watch because I've always been a really competitive person like in sports and like I used to do a lot of running and, and I, I, it would hurt me when I lost a lot and but i'd love to compete it was always like my my go-to i couldn't resist um so i'd always watch the tournaments but i was just never good enough i I have school and stuff and you know time wasn't there and ability wasn't quite there and then i just watched watched and watched and watched and then one point i i think i just finished sixth form which is probably the equivalent of your high school um yeah i was just 18 just just after then um and one of my favorite decks was was quite good. It was a Mali Mali Druid with uh with the quest, the Druid quest where you like don't mm-hmm. spend mana and you get all you choose ones duped. And I just I was just playing that in my free time. I was just really, really, really enjoying it. Then I found myself last day of the month, I was quite high ranked. It was Halloween, I think, twenty nineteen. I was supposed to go out for to some Halloween party and just before I went out, I got to rank three legend. I'd never finished inside top 200 before. I was just addicted to playing this deck that I loved and uh, got to rank three. And then I did some Googling and realized that if I finished top 16, I'd get to go to Master Store Arlington in the US and I'd never been to the US before. Uh, So that night I was at the party with my friends and just checking my phone nonstop, checking the leaderboards, updating, and I ended up finishing rank 10. And yeah, went to Arlington with uh, my family wanted to go as well because they'd never been to the US. So we did that, went to Texas, did road trip across to LA, which is quite nice. And yeah, since then I've just gone, okay, well, I like this game. I can earn money off this game. I'm just going to keep doing it. And I've got basically every ladder finished since, uh, which is quite nice. How did you do in that master store? Oh, terribly. Um <laughs> Like, I was so out of place. I remember, so, right at the start, it was really daunting. Because, like, I'd seen all these players just, because I'd watched every tournament. So, I'd see, see people like Hunter Ace walking around. And 
I, I, like, I'm not talking to anyone. I don't know anyone. No one knows. Well, I know everyone, but no one knows me kind of thing. Um, and then before round one, they did this thing where you'd get paired up against someone, but you wouldn't actually face them. So you'd, like, get paired for a little sit down and a talk. I didn't know that this was just, like, a little chat and we weren't actually playing each against each other. And I got RDU, who was, like, you know, grandmaster, <laughs> famous, well-known player. And I was terrified. The guy's really tall in real life, by the way, which I didn't expect. Um, yeah, we just had a little chat. I was, you know, absolutely, yeah, terrified, as I say. And then, uh, thankfully, I wasn't facing him. So I got my real round one opponent, uh, Taz, French player from Solari, uh, who mm-hmm. decimated me. That was not close. Um, I did not know what I was doing. And then I lost a gamer RVG. He, he doesn't remember this, but... Uh, round two, I lost a game of RVG, and then I, from then on, it was you had to go three two at least day one to get to get day two. So at that point, I started O two, and then I won my next three matches, knocking out three different people, and I felt kind of horrible for it. But uh, like, because you sit face to face from them, so you see you see the expression on their face when their day ends, like losing to this this high roller. Because I had no idea what I was doing, honestly. I was not very good back then. Um. I think I played Shavala OTK Paladin with no practice on it. <laughs> and I remember turn five lethaling someone with Holy Wrath because I just had to. Just with like 10 cards left in deck. Maybe like 15 left in deck. And like the, I, they, they audibly, uh, they, they said something in a language I couldn't understand. But I, 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 I don't, don't think it was that pretty. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I got to day two and then lost to everyone I faced day two and got the minimum prize cut but it was nice to be there and then uh yeah performed terribly at every master's tour for the rest of that year um until i started properly practicing with people um and and then i you know got more comfortable with it after that so for the last couple years you've been a top player and have been someone who's been kind of a people's champion um what was different about this year so like my focus my my skill in Hearthstone had always been like spamming one deck on ladder like making myself more miserable than other people could by just like spamming endless hours and just getting really good ladder ranks i looked at the system and thought okay who's going to go for it cuz obviously best ladder player will would probably go to worlds right they they'd get the most points and get the get the worlds invite from ladder so i looked at it and went okay throughout the last few years only one player has historically done better than me on ladder and that was gabby and i knew he wasn't going for it so i thought okay well this is my best chance ever to go to worlds and uh so yeah i went for it and the hours i put in were crazy on ladder and then since i kind of believed that i was good enough it helped with the tournaments as well because i was not so nervous uh i mean i was nervous but not like an imposter nervous which i'd always kind of felt in the past and yeah i had a good uh practice group around me like rec fam and meaty i had input from people like fury hunter who's won stuff before i had one or two words with bunny hopper before worlds but not loads McBanterface i talked to a fair bit he's been to worlds and great performances as well uh so it was nice having that like support system around you because yeah it would have been rough doing it all on my own and having other people that you'd like respect in the game tell you you're good is uh is is quite big for like being confident in your plays because 
you can make the safe plays when you're on cam, like the safe plays that aren't necessarily good, but sometimes you just make a play that it turns out to be dumb in the end, but you just go, okay, I'm making this play because I'm good. Uh, and then and then you lose. Uh, but but you can walk away from it going, that's fine, that's fine. What I did makes sense. It doesn't make me any worse a player um, because you built that confidence. Uh, so yeah, that was that was the main factor, I think. Uh, you also had to get some buy-in from your family, right? You kind of made a deal uh, or, or something I think you talked about. It was like, I mean, I was... So so my thing was, I was kind of miserable just with schoolwork and stuff. Like, life was fine. I just hated school. Like, just, like, I, I was bored and, like, didn't like the direction of everything because I was really good at maths and I was just bored. Like, I did a week of university and then went, okay, this is not the direction I want life to go in. Uh, and then dropped out. And, like, thankfully, my family would, like, they saw me playing Hearthstone and saw that I could earn money off it. And my parents were like, okay, at least he's not miserable now. And then it's like, I feel like last year, thankfully, finally validated it because I got a big payout at the end. It's like the relief that this was actually worth it and not just like a a waste of time before I actually get on with life, you know? Um, so that was that was definitely the main thing about it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it was just mostly relief with my family that uh, I found something that I actually enjoyed, and then and then yeah, that I can like, actually make a living off it is is nice as well. So how did it feel when that final game ended and you became the world champion? It was honestly is it, it was ridiculous because. Like that year, I was so stressed, like twenty four seven, the entire time. And the, the release, like the come down, I didn't know what to do with myself. It was like everything that year had been on my mind, just thinking about worlds. And then it got to the point where my performances were really good. So anything less than first at worlds, even though that was really unrealistic, like statistically, because variance and whatnot. Like I was trying to mentally prepare myself to not win because I thought I, you know, realistically wouldn't, and. Then I did. Uh, I didn't know what to do with myself because I was like, I've been telling myself, okay, don't feel too too down. You probably won't win. And then I was like, yeah, I think I think I shed a few tears. Um, but um, yeah, it's crazy because I'd seen all the um, all the world's finals in the past. I'd watched them all live, and and like to be there myself is is actually crazy. Like Doc said, like last year if you've been kind of the people's champ for a while and you i think came in second place a lot of times and all that and but in the finals you 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 rolled finals like this was probably the most dominant finals we've seen since um lion so that must have did that add to the stress that you were playing so well that you were just expecting it to come crashing down or did it help build up your confidence the tournament itself was really weird because it was like from my my tournaments in the past before 2023 i would bring lineups that i liked like the decks that I was com- comfortable on. Like I won a Masters Tour with Boar Priest and a few people were playing it. It's like I would bring my comfort decks and then one time it really worked because like it was actually a good bring and I was really good at it. But 2023, it was like I would bring what I thought was good because I was there to just win. And then Worlds was like the my least favorite lineup I've ever brought to a tournament. I hated it. I hated the lineup, but like statistically it just made so much sense. And then I saw the lineups and went, oh God, I uh, I should win. 
or, or meaty because we brought the same lineup. It was like we were favored against. We were like sixty percent plus against the entire field, apart from each other and Recfam, who also prepared with us. But like Recfam, we were like forty nine percent against. Roughly, we, we we calculated, but um, he was less favored against the rest of the field than us. Like he was favored against everyone else as well, but less than us. We were like sixties, and he was like low fifties against everyone. Um. So yeah, if I'd met Rekvam in the final, which I was kind of expecting to, I uh, I would have been unfavored and he probably would have won. But uh, he got high-rolled by CJ. So And then I high-rolled CJ back and it was... Uh, yeah, the finals were <laughs> not the most interesting to watch, I feel like. But uh, I'll take it. I was there to win, not to not to put on a show. Because if I'd put on a show with like Fire Druid or something, I could have messed up and not, not, not done so well. But I think I won every game I played with the pretty boring Dragon Druid. In the end, hey, a dominant performance is still a great show. Like Bunny Hopper's finals was great, was great, but that priest mirror, that was torture. Yeah, that was like two practice partners of mine. I should have been more invested than ever, but I was just not watching. I like I had it on a second screen, looking out of the corner of my eye. Who's winning? Who's not? Because like I know Deadra really well as well, and we like we've all been in a big practice group for the big Open Masters tours in the past. There are like 20 of us and Bunny and Dead draw both in there. So it was I was very personally invested into the result of that, but I still could not watch that freeze mirror. <laughs> uh so you kind of mentioned your practice partners earlier. So you had quite a few of them in worlds. Yeah. Um so have did you ever pick up on like any of their like patterns or anything to figure out how you needed to play against them if you guys were to meet up so- at all? Like we knew the groups reasonably early. I knew I was in a group with Meaty, but we'd agreed the three of us that we were just going to be we we were going to prepare together. It did get a bit awkward at some points because like me and Meaty had to bring the same lineup. We just had to because otherwise, like it's a bit unfair on the other one. If you're prepping together in the same group, you kind of have to make sure you're fifty percent against each other. So we brought we both brought a lineup that we thought was going to be really good against our group, like CJ and WeQ our first two opponents and we were right and then we just had the coin flip against each other and i managed to manage to win the coin flip against him but yeah it, it got a bit um a bit weird at times because like there were t- sometimes where i kind of wanted to bring a deck that meaty would never want to bring but then i had to you know rein it in and, and just go for what we'd like statistically checked was just the best lineup and um yeah Rekvam i think said that he would not have wanted to prep with us if he'd been the same group of us with us and and he mostly did his own thing i almost brought the same lineup as him but uh yeah mine just looked too good into what we thought cj and weq would bring and it would turn out to be true uh but yeah mostly we're just trying to be fair to each other and just say that if we prep together we'll just have as big an advantage as possible over the rest of the field that we'll take a coin flip against each other and then one of us will win worlds and then yeah it happened so uh, yourself and Meaty and a few other people have said that they're done grinding out the Masters tours. No, Meaty's not after done. last year. <laughs> um, so perfect. That's kind of the next half of this uh, question: is are are you a hundred percent out of twenty twenty four? Are you going to try to run it back? I'm not a hundred percent out. I'm I'd say I'm a hundred percent out of the overall year's points. Like, I'm not going to go for the every single month 
get a ladder finish to get the points for worlds itself like i might try and qualify for one of the two masters tours but mostly my focus is my stream because like last year the grind like while it paid off it was miserable i was really 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 unhappy for most of it last year and i don't want to go back to that because i'm in a good spot where i'm enjoying streaming like naturally on on stream yeah i i hit rank one at the start of the month when it kind of didn't matter but still like so i can potentially a lot less likely than if if i did it off stream i could potentially get high ranks and get finished but that's not my priority it's like if it comes as a side effect to the stream then nice but yeah i, I don't want to sacrifice the stream and my uh, my own mental health for it so so it's not really my focus but it okay. would be nice so before you won last year, did you ever think about like hanging up the gloves? Yeah. So there was a point where it was. So I finished rank one in January. I finished top five in February. Then I finished rank one in March, which put me two points clear of anyone else in, in the world's race. So I was thinking, OK, this is pretty nailed on. It was only three months out of 11, but like I, I had a big lead already. I was thinking. I'm kind of miserable though. Like if if I'm doing this well and I'm kind of this unhappy, I I got to a point in April where I thought I c- I'm not sure if I want to do this. And then thankfully I didn't have to play that many games for the top 5 finish on uh, in April and there was the Masters Tour as well to disrupt it a bit and the Masters Tour kind of brought me back because like it was a bit of a deviation from just jamming ladder games. Like I got top 4 in that Masters Tour. It, it was nice, it was fun to just com- compete in a tournament rather than just jamming games on ladder um so that kind of brought me back and spurred me on and kept me going till the next masters tour which i really wanted to quit after because i lost in the final after making some horrible mistakes uh but kept going because had a points lead and didn't want to sacrifice six months while i was you know basically nailed on for worlds if i just kept it up but yeah, I, I did think about stopping actually a lot more than people would probably expect because i did not enjoy it well, thank you for continuing on because it was so incredibly fun to watch. Um, so if you could fix Hearthstone Esports with with an unlimited budget, what would Hearthstone Esports look like to you? It would probably look quite similar to the, the system we had in 2022 when Bunny Hopper won. Like a mix of ladder and... Um, open cups qualifying for big open masters tours and those masters tours um high finishes in in those like consistency being rewarded allowing you to qualify for seasonals and then seasonals um like top four and seasonals goes to worlds kind of thing that that's how that worked and they had a 16 player worlds and i think 16 players for worlds is is much better because ours felt a little bit short last year um it's been eight quite a lot recently. Bunnies was the only one that disrupted it. But when it was just GM, then it was eight. I think GM we should never really truly go back to. If that's ever a thing, well, I don't think it's ever going to be a thing again. But like that being the only way to Worlds was the big mistake. Like that as a system itself, just to watch, could have been great. But that being the only system was was the big issue. Like having a like a bit of a grassroots way for people to just go into a weekly Open Cup oh, I, I hire all the Open Cup. I'm in a Masters Tour. Oh, I I got 
I, I went 6-1 in the Masters Tour. That invites me to the next Masters Tour. Oh, I did it again. And then suddenly you're at Seasonals. I've got a shot at Worlds now. And then just like anyone can go from the bottom up. But last year and in the GM system, it was like you could start the year and just go, well, I'm definitely not going to be at Worlds no matter what I do. It's like, I'm not going to invest all the time into ladder. I'm not in GM already. Uh, just the things like that, just like ruins that you need. You need some hope. Like people need some kind of hope, something to aspire to from the bottom. Like, yeah, I think weekly open cups, while also rewarding ladder, would be the best way into big open field masters tours. You can follow different players' stories throughout them, and then yeah, that was always good. I think the twenty twenty two system was borderline perfect, to be honest. And that was always the dream, right? That was always like people could, anybody could make it. That was like, yeah. it wasn't just media. It just wasn't pocket training. It was all you had to do was catch a hot run of cards for a couple of weeks or hit, mm-hmm. hit a couple of tournaments and you could get there. And that having that not be a thing anymore is kind of sad. And I think yeah, they also agreed with you. I'm sorry. I think they also agreed with you that the uh, Worlds was a little too short. That's why they arranged those um, pre-smears just to kind of lengthen it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so with a more restricted budget, would you have the system be what it is like today or would you change the system a little bit? The thing is, I, I don't know if they can do better with their budget than they were already doing. That's the, that's the horrible truth. Yeah. Because like on top of the budget for the prize pool, they've got admin costs. They've got to pay the casters. They've got a production team like that. Those costs are way, way up from like like it's probably the budget is more like a million than than 500k like if you're adding in all the production costs and what people want and kind of rightly so but shouldn't be expecting with this kind of budget is the weekly open cups because they'd have to pay the admins every week and then that would mean bigger bigger masters tours more masters tours which more costs on top of that as well and like at least this system is better than last year in terms of the grind because like it's two months on, two months off, two months on, two months off. Sadly, there are only two Masters Tours instead of three. But uh, maybe they were just given a smaller budget. I don't know the inner workings. But yeah, the general gist I get is this is kind of the best they can do with what they're given. Because um, yeah, Open Cups aren't going to be a thing. So then, then the, that leads you leaves you with ladder and then they've done what they can they took the feedback from last year they've got rid of most of the horrible grindy aspect while also rewarding consistent finishes so i think they've done an improvement on last year but like yeah it's it's unfortunately kind of the best i think we can get with with the budget so is there any particular player that always seems to have the the pocket train number like you queue into them in a tournament or on ladder and more often than not they always just seem to pull out a, the win against you so there there is um there's a funny thing with me and hemlock because hemlock always used to beat me on ladder i remember last year he was like my nemesis on ladder but then i ended up knocking him out of all three masters tours last year <laughs> so <laughs> so um yeah, it's like on stream, I, I, I'd be queuing into Hemlock, he'd just farm me, and everyone would just go, oh no, it's Hemlock again, we're doomed. And then first Masters Tour, I got to, I got out of my group, Hemlock in top eight, I I beat him 3-1, I think. And then second Masters Tour, Hemlock in top eight again, got out of my group, uh, beat him again, I got to top four, then I lost in the finals to his practice partner. Then the third Masters Tour, 
I didn't get Hemlock in top eight, but I did get him in top four. And then <laughs> and then I beat him again. And uh, at Worlds, it almost happened again because Gyu, who I played in semi-finals, had just beaten Hemlock. So if Hemlock had beaten Gyu, we would have had a rematch. And I was ready for him to just just finally get revenge and then beat me at Worlds when it really mattered. But um, it wasn't to be. Yeah, the, the Hemlock storyline was quite funny. Um, I also faced Tansoku twice in Masters Tours because last... Not last year, 2022, he knocked me out of the full championship. And then I got like double revenge last year. I think he was my first first opponent in the first Masters Tour and I 3-0'd him. And then I beat him in the decider match after that. So I beat him twice in the first Masters Tour. Then the second Masters Tour, I played against his practice partner. I 3-0'd his practice partner. Well, Meaty, my practice partner, beat Tansoku. And then third Masters Tour, I beat Tansoku again in the first match. So like, there were there were a few recurring faces that I just couldn't get away from. But this last year, I was just like last year, I just kept winning in the tournaments. But yeah, Ladder Ladder Hemlock farmed me, and Meaty is also a bit of a nemesis of mine on Ladder. He's 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 always got something about him on Ladder, Meaty. He's he <laughs> seems pretty unstoppable. And I don't understand how he's just he's just there bopping along to his music, and he's just just jamming cards, and then suddenly you're dead. Um, yeah, Hemlock and Meaty on ladder for sure. So you've made, you've recently made the transition to be more of a streamer than you had been in the past. Um, what has this transition been like? Uh, it's been weird because like, I've, I've really liked it. Like it's been going well. So that, that's, that's nice. Like the numbers are good. So that, that obviously helps, but like it, it's hard to shift mentality from just trying to win every single ladder game and jamming games off stream late into the night and just all I care about is my rank to just just playing and not really caring. It's been a bit of a weird adjustment, but it's a nice relaxed adjustment rather than permanently being on edge, which is much better. So yeah, I'm 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 loving it so far, but it's it's weird not having like a an end goal instead of just yeah, I'm just kind of playing to play. So with becoming a streamer, are you planning on doing other content creator things like YouTube or like Hearthstone TikTok or anything like that? I don't know. Probably not yet. If I do, it'll be a bit further down the line. But like right now, I'm I'm really inept when it comes to all the like tech side of things. I've, I'm What I'm decent at is I get up, I click start streaming, and then eight hours later, I'm done. Uh, like I can do a long, I can do fairly fairly regular long streams when I don't confuse myself with loads of other things in the day. At the moment, and I think once I fully get on top of that, I might branch out into other stuff. But uh, nothing, nothing planned just yet. I think there's your first um, merch right there. Wake up, eat noobs in Hearthstone, sleep, repeat. <laughs> uh, so is Boar Priest your favorite deck of all time? That one. In terms of the actual playstyle, uh, no. But in terms of like the memories I have with it, for sure, like it's the it's the deck I used to win my first ever tournament. Uh, and like it, it it's the main way I feel like people got to know me in the first place, for sure. But like I I preferred Mizaki Mage and Maligos Druid, but Vorpris is probably top three. I, maybe D six Warlock. Like, it was a weird one because I really hated every other deck at the time when Boar Priest was a thing. So that's kind of why it forced me so much in that direction. Like, it was a meta that I didn't enjoy. 
So I just played the only deck I liked. And yeah, as a side effect of that, I got very good at it. But yeah, I, I did really like it. It was just mostly a symptom of not liking anything else though. But yeah, it was definitely up there. But there are, there are others I've preferred in the past. Okay. So what's, what's your favorite Hearthstone class? Uh, historically, probably Druid. Like, I always used to try and make Malagos Druid work every single meta. I'm a bit peeved that they didn't bring back the old Mali for the Corsair. It's the only thing I wanted. Um, but yeah, Druid, I, I always used to love. Uh, I always used to play it pre-Legend. Before I could ever hit Legend, I was playing my Ancient Watcher Taunt Druid. Didn't understand why I was stuck at Sea Giant rank. And then it took me like a day of playing Zoo Warlock to get my first ever Legend. Um, and then I went back to Druid. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where the fun came from for me. So what is a interesting pocket train fact that maybe not a lot of people would know about you? Uh, ooh. I didn't know you were going to ask this one, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, my other, like, my other proudest achievement other than winning Worlds in Hearthstone is... I used to do a lot of running when I was younger, and that all built up to when I was 18... I ran the London Marathon, which I was very proud of. So I just went, okay, the moment I'm old enough to run the marathon, I'll I'll enter and then and then do it. And I uh, yeah, struggled my way across the line, but I got it done. Um, yeah, that's, that's that's something that I I have mentioned a few times on stream, not not regularly though. Got to got to preserve that air of humility, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's my other proudest achievement. That uh, that's really cool. Um, what was your, this isn't on here either. Do you know what your fastest mile was like either in the marathon or just overall your fastest mile? Uh, I do not know. I used to do, I used to do other distances when I, like I competed in athletics at school. I did the 800 meters in like two minutes and 10 or two minutes, 15, something like roughly that that, that area. Um, yeah, I, I don't actually have a mile time. I know of. I guess double that and out a bit. I was kind of hoping you did because my fastest mile, I think, was a four forty eight. So I was kind of hoping I was ahead of you, and I could say I'm actually better at po- than some better at something than pocket train. <laughs> oh, nice. That was many, 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 many years ago. But <laughs> um, so do you have any idea on what the pocket train Hearthstone card is going to be? They have. Told or do you have something nothing. you want it to be? Uh, oh, I want it to be some like horrifically degenerate combo card that everyone wants nerfed. That that that's that's me in a nutshell. So, yeah, that, that's what I'd like it to be. But like, I think thematically, it's quite easy to to jam that into the game. I, I it's I don't think it's in the next expansion, even though thematically it would be very easy to get a little toy train or something in the Whizbang expansion. But uh, I think it'll probably be in the third expansion of the year, which is. That's how it's been the last few years with each of them. But yeah, I'd like it to fit in a combo deck if possible. Now, I've seen you... I, I, I follow a lot of people's streams, and I see you popping up in all kinds of streams, just like chatting. Like, I see you in Lorenda's stream. I see you in other streams. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I know you, you're starting to make that shift to as a content creator, and you're kind of relaxed, enjoying the game more, just kind of whatever. But how much do you still love Hearthstone after the last couple of years? And or has competition really taken a toll? Because you seem to be not there for anything but the fact that you still enjoy these people in the game. Yeah, it's it. It's weird. Like it, I do like the game at its core, but when it 
when you have to win, that sucks something out of it, you know? Like, you see you see a lot of streamers and, and better players saying, oh, I hate the game, I hate the game. But it's just like they're playing it 10 hours a day, so of course they do. Um, but, like, I, I do love the game as what it is. And... But yeah, the competing and the grind definitely took its toll. It's like when you do something enough and all that matters is the result, then you you lose some fondness for it. But yeah, I'm enjoying seeing the uh, seeing other streamers and stuff because I like I, I like these people. I know these people, so it's kind of what I do. Apart from every now and then, I go out to see real life friends that I knew from school. Uh, but yeah, it's like two two different worlds, and uh, I do like hanging out on other streams because. Yeah, I, I don't know. When I'm at home, <laughs> not much else to do apart from stream myself and then just have another stream open in another monitor if I'm doing something else. Now, now this is on, I was in on the list, but I have one last question for you before we move on. Um, have you been recognized sure. at all? I mean, aside from your friends that know that you uh, play Hearthstone and you probably talked about, hey, I won the world championship, I'm awesome. Have you ever just ru- had people run into you when you're walking around London or wherever you're at and say, aren't, are you? No. Like- I've heard so I've heard stories from people I know who have said that they know that people they know have heard of me, but like I've never bumped into these people myself. Like my mum was at a party with like a, like a friend's birthday party sometime last year, I think, and she said that like a friend of the guy whose birthday was would played Hearthstone and watch my stream sometimes. Like a, a new of like my my boar priest exploits and stuff. So my mum just comes back drunk uh, after <laughs> both my parents come back drunk after a night out at a friend's birthday. Just say this to me. Like it's like one a.m. I'm just in the kitchen and my my parents are there going, "Oh yeah, uh, his friend Alistair. He, he watches your stream." <laughs> just very unusual. And um, a friend of mine said that. Someone he knows is really into Hearthstone and, and has, has heard of me as well. So, I don't know. I hear about these people. I've never met them, though. Well, that's the right kind of famous, right? The, the famous. You're famous enough where people know who you are, but you can go mm. to you can go anywhere and just, you know, have your dinner and no one's going to bother you. So, that's probably just the right level. But, yeah. we have, so we have a new expansion coming out. We have a new rotation. And so far since our last episode, the only new card that's come up has been Whizbang, which is kind of like the last Whizbang that gave you old decks. But this one now has very specialized decks, uh, one for each class there. Um, one has duplicates of legendaries. One has uh, supposed to copy your deck, although that one's not going to be in the initial set because they copy your opponent's deck because they have they have an issue with that. So that's going to come later. But there are all kinds of just weird decks like that. The mage one is just totally random uh, things that change every turn. Is this something that you'll play on stream for funds or try to climb oh, yeah. with? Um, I mean, try to climb is probably not likely, but uh, I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> play it. Like these cards are good when they're fun, but unplayable, I think. Like borderline playable, but like it's never statistically correct to play them, you know? Uh, if it was actually good, then I, I think it would get unfun fast, maybe. But uh, yeah, it looks like it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And Doc, I know you're excited for this. You're excited for Whizbang, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so now that we, so we've already talked about this, what what are your thoughts, Pocket, on the changes in core, just overall high level and and the theme and the, the where the expansion is headed? Uh. 
it's it's a weird one. Like the expansion looks cool so far. Like I've seen like J Alex has had some issues with the tone in Hearthstone recently, and I kind of I weirdly it weirdly resonated with me because like the the whole whimsy aspect of it was not massively there when Hearthstone got released. So a lot of us are playing it for a different reason. Like I'm playing the game because I love the game, but like seeing the expansion launch, it's not exactly my initial cup of tea. But like I like it because I play Hearthstone, right? Rather than I've seen the expansion launch, and but I think that's what they were going for. To be fair, it's like tenth anniversary. Everything's a callback to other stuff, so it's like for people who are really into Hearthstone, this new expansion, rather than one for outside players. So I think they've hit the nail on the head with what they were going for. But I kind of get the issue with the, the the tone is a bit maybe too, uh, like sugar coated and stuff for for some people. But like I love the game at its core, so it's uh, it's fine by me. And uh, yeah, the expansion's hitting what I like. The real signature card that is probably going to be the most, I would say, played card of all time is Ziliax. And for those that mm. don't remember what we talked about last week, Ziliax. There are different modules for Ziliax, and you build this card when you build your deck, and you take uh, one of each of the modules, you put two of them together to make whatever kind of cards you want, and you also pick the art and you throw it in your deck. What are your thoughts? Is this a, is this a card that you're excited about? Uh, what what are your thoughts on on Ziliax? Uh, I mean, it'll be cool. Yeah, I, I mean, for streaming, it's going to be a nightmare because it's like we're already sick of what's in the ETC, and like, what's your Ziliax is going to be a be a pretty common. Common question now. Well, I guess it's chat engagement, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the card itself. It, but it's it's we're gonna get like two years of every stream is gonna be oh what Ziliax what Ziliax what Ziliax um unless there's just one outright by far the best one. Uh, but yeah, it's a very cool card. It's something they've never experimented with before. Um, so I think that kind of opens the avenues because they can do this with other cards. So so that's cool that they can actually. The spaghetti code of the game isn't just restricted to the stats on the card and and all that. We've seen with ETC and Ziliax that you can do stuff in the deck building process too. You know? I think what we're going to see is that you're not going to see just one perfect Ziliax, but you're going to see, hey, I'm playing Sludge Lock. This is the Ziliax I play. I'm playing mm. Control Priest. This is the Ziliax I play. And the solution for you is if you just or whatever deck you're playing, have a little image in the bottom right corner that says, that has the picture of Ziliax saying, this is my current Ziliax. And people will still ask because they just ignore things. But yeah, it's I mean, they ask when ETC is on the screen. Uh, <laughs> I may um, just do it to, to do it now rather than actually wanting to know. <laughs> um, Doc, before we move into the main topic, do you have any final questions um, in our interview portion? Um. Not really. I mean, the st- the stuff that's coming up is like the like the meat and the potatoes. Like, or we got the bread and butter. Some like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So some of this we've talked a little bit about um, already, but let, let's really get into detail here. So, um, in the past, we've had folks like Ron Mexiguan. We've talked about prepping for a tournament, or like for THL, or even a tournament in general, but. Like prepping for the Masters Tour is is something different entirely because you have to qualify with ladder and then you have to play in the tournaments. And there, there are two parts here, the pushing for the ladder and prepping for these events. So first off, 
how do you how do you qualify in the first place? Like, what was your? I know it's a lot of games, but what was your approach to actually qualify? So, I mean, for me, like, I'm horribly competitive. So, if I do something, I want to win. I want to do it as well as possible. And so, every single moment, my rank wasn't acceptable in my mind. I was queuing, or I was thinking about queuing because I had to go to bed sometimes and eat and and things. But uh, yeah, so like if I wasn't top five or rank one on a server, then I'd I'd think, okay, I gotta I gotta play, I gotta keep going. And then naturally, you'll be a little bit more in tune with what the correct decks are in the meta, because like some some days, different things will be a different correct queue because like people will be playing something specific, and I'll, I would be in dialogue with Rekvam a lot because. Yeah, he's very good at reading the meta. And so we'd be talking about, oh, what's the best queue today? Uh, stuff like that. Um, uh, but yeah, for me, it was like... I, 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 It's not just a lot of games, but it was just a lot of games. And yeah, every time my rank wasn't acceptable, I, 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 I put the work in so I had less work to do on the last day because some people were just trying to claw their way into top five on the last day of the season. But I tried to make sure I had the big buffer beforehand, which secured it my plan each month was top five on europe and then america's ended later in the night so i'd get top five on europe locked up so i had no nothing to risk and then i just push for rank one on america's because if i lost top five there i already had one locked up so it was fine and that was a pretty good strategy uh it i, I think i missed the top five on europe once all year but i got a rank one on europe at one point as well um but yeah, most of my most of my actual top points were on the America server after I'd already locked up the like safety finish on Europe. Now a lot, so you did a lot of your grinding off stream. I think you did stream a little bit, but not a lot. But you also yeah. have people like Meaty who yeah. stream all the time. Um, recently, mm-hmm. this isn't in the notes here. So, but recently there's been some talk, and we don't have to get into specific names of people, but there's been some talk of stream sniping and and how that might mm-hmm. affect finishes and all that. How relevant is that to um, in general? Do you have an advantage? Obviously, you have an advantage by not streaming because you're more focused. You're not talking to the groups yeah. and all that. But how 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 important is that to avoid the, that stream sniping? Is that is that really relevant? So it goes hand. Meaty actually last year he did stream a lot, but he'd always take the last few days of the month off and just play off stream at the end of each month. Um, because I talked to him a lot then. He'd he'd take the last few days off and make sure that he he was just locking up the finish because I think he had one like scare in april or may or something he had a scare where he didn't actually get the finishes comfortably as he was expecting so he decided to play a bit safer for the rest of the year um but so the thing with streaming is it's not just the snipers like if someone the the worst thing it's not so much them seeing your hand it's them intentionally queuing matchups into you which is the problem so like you're you're just going to queue bad matchups um and you, like you don't know who's stream sniping, so it's nice to not have the paranoia uh, if you're really going for a finish. And on top of that, the main thing is actually I don't think it's anyone's fault for doing this. Like they'll be watching your stream and playing their own ladder games, but they will dodge you if you're playing a bad matchup for them. So it's not so much them intentionally queuing into you, but you'll have a lot of people. Like let's say I'm playing Druid right now. And then someone doesn't want to queue Excavate Rogue into Druid. But they're playing Excavate Rogue on ladder. They'll be watching my stream. And then when I queue, they're going to make sure they're not queuing. So I'll face uh, 
slightly lowered amount of good matchups as well as the increased bad matchups from actual like cheaters. Uh, which I, I think is just like an unfortunate side effect rather than people actually like cheating by dodging because like wh- what are you going to do? You you know you're walking into like probably an instant loss uh, so you, you're going to dodge. So streamers have that disadvantage which is probably the main thing because I think every basically everyone's going to do that. Um, especially if you're one of the mainstreams or the, the top ladder players anyway, because like most of my viewers, well, most of the top ladder players like I, I talk to, so there'll be viewers in my stream or meeties and, and stuff like that. So like naturally, we're not going to queue into each other because they'll be watching the stream anyway. So yeah, dodging is more common than actual sniping, but it all plays its part. Uh, maybe you needed to do that with Hemlock last year, but... <laughs> Just, um. So one of the, the complaints over the years with Master's Tour is, especially when you have the ladder finishes, is that it's, it's an entirely different game. Playing on ladder is not playing in a tournament. Um, how do you prep balancing tournament play, but also spending as much time as you need to get on the ladder and get that victory? Yeah, so the last year I was always playing two servers, so Europe and Americas. I would... I would if I was going to prepare with any of my decks on ladder, I would only ever do that with, on one of the servers. So I always had a like a safe server that I was high ranked on, so I wasn't ruining my rank on both. So I'd need, you know, you need the ladder finish if you don't win the Masters Tour because you you know you've got the rest of the year to go, which was pretty pretty stressful. I kind of tanked my rank playing some unplayable decks in preparation for the first Masters Tour on Americas, uh, and I thought I don't really want to do that again. Uh, so most of my prep after that was within my own practice group. So we just play friendly matches against each other, and then the ladder rank was kind of safe. I, we'd take a few days off ladder, but we'd have already done the grinding beforehand, so we had a bit of a safety net to afford to let some other people pass us for a little bit. But yeah, most of almost all of the, the the prep was done against each other in practice matches. Also, if you queue on ladder, then the people you're playing against might get a read on what you're planning on bringing to the Masters Tour which um, isn't ideal. Well, some people do though, right? Because you you have these high-level high players like yourself often are in these practice groups, often with players that we see and that you're possibly going to compete against, right? Obviously, because mm-hmm. if they're not competitive, then why would you be practicing with them? Uh, uh, what What is it like working in these groups? And what's like the dynamic like? And what do you do in these groups to test these decks? And do you coordinate, say, hey, I want to play this deck versus these three? Or how, how does that even work? Like, so what will mostly happen is, like, everyone's going to have their own, we'll, we'll, we'll be in a group together and then we'll kind of all a little bit independently figure stuff out by just jamming games on ladder anyway, but just not, not to test stuff, just to, just to play, maybe Meteor will be streaming or something. Um, but everyone had their own, like, idea of what decks they kind of like to play in the first place. So, like, I'm always inclined a little bit more towards the combo decks and then Meaty preferred control decks kind of thing. And then RecFam's looking at stats a lot. And so so it would be like a mix of everyone using their, their, like their expertise to say, okay, we should try this, we should try that. Everyone's kind of got a new deck that they want to try each day. And then we'd have ideas of what the most broad lineup would be or the most broad deck. We go, okay, we want to be good against this. Or if we can't be good against this, we want to be good against the second most broad deck kind of thing. So we it would be like a, everyone throwing out di- a different idea 
uh, every now and then, and then we will kind of evaluate the idea together and see if it actually has any merit. Because you know, we we'd speak a lot of nonsense in there, but you'd have a lot of heads around you to tell you when that is nonsense. Um, yeah, it was it was good to like I um before the first masters tour, it was just me and Meaty. And that practice was not the most productive, to be honest. Like, Meaty went 0-2 in that Masters Tour, and I probably should not have gotten out of my group, but I did. I, yeah, I lost in top four to Levick. But I almost brought Blood Death Knight, and then the entire field had Frost. It was like... Uh, but I, I think I spoke to a couple of people in a Twitch stream, and they said, oh, Frost Death Knight's the best deck. And I thought, you know what? You're probably right. I don't know what I'm doing listening to Meaty here. And so I switched my deck, and it turned out to be the best deck in the tournament. So like it's we're not as good as is as like you'd think maybe like there's a lot of nonsense and a lot of impulse stuff when we're choosing lineups but we got a lot more refined as the year went on like expanded the practice group rec fam I think Casey joined us for one of the tournaments we had input from people like Fury Hunter um and yeah a lot more heads to tell us when we're just being dumb so I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on for a second. This is, again, I'm deviating a little bit here. Um, when you are planning for these, these well, streamers, especially high-level streamers like Meaty, are famous for putting out bait decks, right? Do you guys ever <laughs> do you guys ever say, hey, I want to bring deck X, which really plays well into a deck Y. So we're going to promote deck Y to become popular, and it's still good, and make it so it's something that will become something popular in the meta. So then someone's going to bring it, and I'm going to counterplay it by bringing the deck that I want. Like, does it ever get that involved, or is that, like, too big-brained? Not, not really, but also at the same time that, that those kind of discussions have happened. So, like, that's not really a common thing, but it's like you've always got to tiptoe around it because you know what kind of thing you want to bring. So you you want to you do want to influence a little bit that the the stuff you expect to be brought is going to be brought. Um, but like what you say here and there in Twitch streams, but a lot of it was like I think the Asian side of the because it was like Europe, America's Asia, you know, different representation uh, across the Masters Tour. And I think the Asian side were quite disconnected to the English-speaking side of the Masters Tour. So, like, you couldn't really influence them. And I played against an Asian player every time, um, first round. So, for me, it wasn't that impactful because the way they seeded it, I think top seed in Europe would always play against fourth seed in Asia last year in in the first um, in their first match. So, I was always in Group C every Masters Tour, and I was always against the, the fourth-placed uh, Asian player, which twice was Tansoku, and once was Nagon, I think was the name. Uh, so yeah, like, for me, influencing stuff didn't ra- massively matter, but uh, yeah, there was there was definitely a, an element of that, but not huge. Now, I know you said that you and Media decided to bring these decks that were the statistically the best, and, and you there's, there's a lot of math involved to actually figure all this out. How often do you try to find a deck that's like so off meta that maybe it would work like it's just crazy enough that it's gonna work uh because because there's always someone in like a master store when it was more wide open that would bring this like way out of left field deck does that come up a lot or uh so for us my strategy last year mostly was saying 
I'm going to bring things that are pretty common, but they can't be targeted. Like they're good decks that can't really be outright targeted. And I'm going to win because I'm better rather than massively because I have an edge statistically. Like I'd go, okay, well, we have roughly 50% matchups. I'm going to win then. At least like if I'm, you know, if I'm, what's the point? If I, if I don't think I'm better, right? That kind of thing. Um, and then that changed at Worlds because we thought we just had such a big edge if we brought that lineup. Like, so it gets to a point where the statistics push so far in one direction that you've got to go, okay, well, we'll bring these lineups that you can't really express much skill, but they're just so good that it doesn't matter. Um, wait, I've forgotten the question. <laughs> the, uh, the, the question was, uh, would you ever take something really out of left field? that oh yeah uh out of left field last year probably no in the previous year's masters tours i brought uh i I'd bring something out of left field if i thought it was good and it was the kind of deck that i like so like my favorite ever lineup i brought it was i think there was a must everyone had to bring highlander priest this masters tour it was pretty pretty yucky but everyone had to do it like Highlander Control Priest back in 2020 or something, maybe 2021. Um, and but the rest of my lineup was OTK Demon Hunter, uh, Mr. Smite Alignment Druid, Mr. Smite Survival of Fittest Alignment Druid, and the last deck. Wait, actually, no, we didn't bring Priest, we didn't bring Priest, that's why the lineup was so perfect. Now, Priest was, yeah, no, so the four decks were Mazaki Mage before it was actually deemed good. This was like when we figured out that Encounters Flow was actually a good card before it actually saw play. When it was at two, no one was playing it for some reason. And then we went, okay, well, we'll just play Mazaki Mage. This deck is actually nuts. It was like with Sorcerer's Apprentice and Gadgets and Auctioneer. No one was really playing that. And uh, played Mr. Smite OTK Weapon Rogue with like Blood Sail... Uh, Blood Sail, of course, whatever the, the, you know, the 2-3 that gains weapon attack. So we'd, we'd charge those in uh, while playing Weapon Rogue, which, like, no one else ever did. And, yeah, Mr. Smite, OTK Alignment Druid, and OTK Demon Hunter was, like, my favorite lineup I've ever brought. And there was two decks in there with the Mage and the Rogue that, like, no one else in the tournament really had. Like, a couple of us from my practice group. And it felt like the best lineup in the tournament. I uh, I ended up losing the winning in for top sixteen due to an admin infraction, um, but <laughs> uh, is what it is. But yeah, I, I I'll bring something left field if I think it's good and also it suits me. But like last year, I just wanted to bring good decks without taking many risks and just saying I'll win the games themselves because I'm better. And then yeah, at Worlds everything changed because we saw a lineup that just looked by far the best on paper. One of my favorite movies is Rounders. It's not a good movie, but it's a, it's about poker playing and it's about figuring out people's tells and that kind of stuff. And in the end, he figures out the K- Teddy KGB's tell and doesn't he doesn't say it. When you're in these practice groups, uh, do you feel like you pick up habits from people that you can exploit? And is it weird playing against these people in like play, is it weird playing against Meaty after you spend so much time practicing with them and, and, and that sort of thing? And do you ever try to hide? Inf- I know there's a lot of questions. Do you ever try to hide information in for, in these things that you might get an advantage of, even if it's just a little bit of something small? Uh, not so much, to be honest. It's like for me, my worst played games. Like I played against Meaty in the semifinals of the second Masters Tour last year. 
and I obviously played him at Worlds. Worlds, I was much more stressed. But semifinals of the Masters Tour, I was super relaxed because it was like, if I don't win, it's fine. Meaty's in the Masters Tour final. Hopefully he'll win. Like, I was just chilled out. I was not stressed about who was going to win the match because, like, if I didn't win, at least Meaty won. Uh, in the end, neither of us won. Um, but, yeah, but it was like everyone just... We, we back our own ability in the games themselves. And it's like we prep together showing everything because if we're all prepped well enough, then at least one of us will win was the kind of feeling. And that's better than holding anything back and then risking none of you winning. Like, I think average result is going to be better if you just, you know, all cards on, all cards on the table kind of thing. So... And yeah, it, it kind of panned out that way. It's like Rekfam got to the semi-final Worlds. Meaty should have done, I think. Statistically, he was super favoured against CJ as the lineup showed when I played against him. Um, but yeah, we would, the, the mindset was just show everything and then we'll all be so favoured against everyone else that it doesn't matter. Then we'll take the coin flip-ish or whoever plays better on the day uh, will will win. Like I had a match against Rekfam where I think I played super well and he made a couple mistakes and and i won because of that but it's like yeah super good player but on the day anything can happen but so even though the cards are all on the table do you ever realize like i know meaty's gonna do this so i can do this okay yeah um to an extent you you pick that up yeah but like i wasn't thinking that so much in the second masters tour because as i said i was i was way too relaxed i was playing pretty sloppy because i didn't care who won i was playing my first relaxed match of the year because i didn't mind who would who was going to win because one of us was going to be in the masters tour final and then at worlds we were playing decks that were basically coin flips very few decisions to be honest um but i do yeah i did you you can see meaty's mindset like every most people can see it like when he streams, you can kind of tell the kind of play Meaty's going to make. I feel like, like he's very much like he streams when he practices. Like he he's he's mostly got one mode, and it's like just just playing Hearthstone mode. That's the same on stream. That's the same in tournaments. That's why he had so much success on ladder, and maybe a little bit less in tournaments because he didn't quite find that upper level. Although at Worlds he did just get unlucky, which was not his fault. Um. But yeah, I think I think Meaty's one that you can sort of predict, but he's just good. So like if you think they're gonna do this play, they're probably gonna do that play because it's correct. So it's like it's it's hard hard to actually get a proper advantage like that because yeah. If they're good players, you're going, they'll probably make this play, but they'll make this play because it's the correct play, and then, you know, there's no no point in making the read at that point. All right. Um so we've talked about this quite a bit, but like I think most people are gonna wanna if they, if they want to pick your brain, it's how how to get the best lineup. And I understand that you you want to go with the most like right now. What, what would the lineups be right now if you were if you were gonna take some from the better? I, I would I would guess maybe I'm wrong, but it'd be some combination of Rainbow DK, Sludge Warlock, maybe a Warrior, but and maybe like Highlander Priest. But I mean, I'm probably, I mean, that's just from the top of the head. I think the, I feel solid on the first two, but what would you think would be like a solid? So it's, it's interesting because like the, the, there's, there's a base level of like good decks for ladder and then you change it into a lineup that is good for conquest to, to kind of be good against one deck and maybe not be targetable themselves. So like, I feel like Sludge Warlock is an insta bring probably in a conquest lineup right now. Like, what are you going to do to target it? Uh, I I would also probably 
put Druid as one of the top decks. Tough to target Druid. Um, which Druid? You can... I wish... So there's a new build that came out yesterday. Mr. Yagoot hit rank 1 with a, like a mix of Beetle and Nightshade Bud. So like you do the ENR stuff really fast, but you've got the Beetle Fizzle stuff for, for control decks, which seems super difficult to actually counter. Um, got all bases covered, it feels like. Beats aggro and, and control. Um, so I put that in there with Sludge Warlock. Maybe a rogue? Maybe an Excavate rogue to try and beat up Warlock? It depends on your ban, though. Like, you bring rogue if you ban Druid you and, and leave up Warlock. But if you ban Warlock, then you don't bring rogue. and that, That's when it gets a bit weird. If you ban Druid, then Rainbow Death Knight does get quite good. Admittedly. But only if you ban Druid. Like, if you're banning Warlock, you don't bring Death Knight, I think. It, it's, it's, it's weird little things like that. But yeah, like Rogue, Warrior, Rainbow Death Knight, Druid, Sludge Warlock are all kind of front runners. And then this Control Priest that's come out recently has some application in certain, like Target Warrior, maybe, kind of thing. But uh, maybe a bit less. How do you decide what to target? Um, so you got to go... You, obviously, the things that are most brought are going to be most brought because they're the good decks so it's tougher to target the good decks right so you 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 see what the good decks are and then you go okay i'm going to try and target this if i can right sometimes it's just not worth it like for worlds everyone brought paladin and no one targeted paladin because it's just like everyone knew everyone's going to bring it but you just couldn't target it at the time so yeah so you got to target one of those second or third uh, brought decks while also maintaining a lineup that can play if it doesn't hit the target. So Masters Tours, Masters Tour Two, I brought a lineup that mostly targeted Drum Druid at the time, and there were two in the entire tournament. I think I still got to the final. I was still favored against most people I played because the lineup just stood up on its own. So like the the theory of this fairly probably popular deck, I want to make sure my decks are good into it, but don't completely ruin your lineup in case you don't hit the target. Um, I think. Because, like, you could hit the target, but you need to hit it every single time if you if you go super full target with unplayable decks that can only win those matchups. So, yeah, I, li- I liked targeting one of the, like, second or third most popular decks. Like, I, I targeted Naga Demon Hunter at Worlds. Paladin most popular, but most people had Naga the Age, and I beat that every time I played against it. Um, and also Plague Death Knight, we had a target on, and Rainbow Mage. Less popular, but also almost every single lineup had one of those decks. I think every single lineup did actually have one of those decks, as far as I remember. Uh, actually, you didn't, uh, but everyone else did. So, like, yeah, we didn't bring a lineup that couldn't win if it didn't hit the target. But like, if you do hit the target, you're pretty happy. So when you were saying last turn Paladin was being brought by everybody, is that your insta-ban? Yeah. Or do you just kind of accept that that's going to be one of the decks that you're going to have to get through and you ban something else that's going to give yourself more of an advantage? Yeah, so we went we went into it thinking probably insta-ban Paladin, but it, it's flexible. Like, Rekvam had this control warrior that would have been really awful for my lineup, but he was the only one in the tournament with it. So I would have had to ban it and probably take a loss to Paladin, but less likely to take a loss because I needed to get my Naga Priest through specifically against his lineup, I think, was, was my big struggle deck. 
and Naga Priest is much worse against Control Warrior than it was against Paladin at the time. Uh, and, and my Dragon Druid actually was super bad against... Yeah, so you go into it with a ban strategy, but you need to be flexible in case someone has just that one deck that is going to be a bit less popular, but it does beat you much harder than everything else. Um, and like other people did that where they banned Rekvan banned Naga Demon Hunter instead of Paladin against some people in Worlds and everyone was calling him dumb for leaving up Paladin but he was doing that specifically because in those matches where he banned it Warrior was his worst deck and the worst matchup for his Warrior in those matchups was Naga Demon Hunter so he had to ban the worst matchup to give his Warrior the best chance to get through the series um, so you need to be able to be flexible to like ban for your worst deck, even if that doesn't completely correspond with your um, ban strategy going in. Just a couple last questions we have here. Um, have you ever made a last-minute change? Like you do all this research, you have all these numbers. Have it has it ever been two hours before the the check-in time or two hours before decks are due, and you say? screw it we roll with this or whatever and it has it paid off or not oh, if you have most of the changes happen in the last 10 minutes <laughs> so like i mean so, so i told you earlier that i brought frost death knight instead of blood death knight even though i prepared blood with meaty for the first masters tour last year what happened what i did before deck submission every every time last year was i'd go have a shower and then that, for that first Masters tour, I was in the shower, five minutes till deck submission. I was thinking, Blood Death Knight is not very good, is it? Frost seems really, really good. So I just sprint out of the shower to my desk and um, just I'm just dripping, dripping with water still, uh, just, just hurriedly changing my deck. And, and yeah, Frost Death Knight was the best deck in the tournament. So uh, yeah, that was that was the last five minutes, just, just shower thoughts that saved me. And also for the third Masters Tour last year, I wasn't prepping with McBanterface. I we we kind of split European and uh, American practice groups because I talked to McBanterface and Game Ravi G quite a lot, but we didn't prep with them because there's too many people like that build that puts like half the Masters Tour in our practice group at that point, and they were going for the American World spots anyway, so it suited us to help other Europeans to open up more spots for us to get to Worlds. It was mostly me, Rec Van Meaty. Casey helped us one time. But like I talked to Banter in the last ten minutes before before deck submission, because I wanted to see I wanted to hear what his decks were. And he had like I was on Rainbow Mage, Mech Rogue, uh Relic Demon Hunter, and I cannot remember the last deck. Uh, but, but anyway, he had the same. He had Drum Druid instead of Metrog, I think, and I had. No, he had Drum Druid and Nature Shaman instead of instead of two decks. And I said, "Okay, Druid sucks. Don't bring Druid." And and then like we swapped a deck. I took his Nature Shaman, and he he took my Metrog, I think. And then we ended up on just exactly the same lineup. And then we met in the finals. And this was all due to a conversation we had. 10 minutes before deck submission. Um, and I told it to, I told other people that I was, I was changing to, to Nature Shaman and they, they, they said, I think it was Fury Hunters who said, don't do it, Relic DH is so much better. And then uh, I'm, I'm never letting him hear, uh, live that down because <laughs> Relic DH was awful in that tournament. Uh, but yeah, uh, 
with us, there's because the, so much work goes into it. You can't help but panic just before deck submission in case you've got something wrong because you've you've considered loads of different things and it is a guessing game still. So like you could be wrong even if you've done the statistically correct thing. So that's always going to be eating away at you. Uh, so yeah, that there are a few last minute changes, but I try and keep them. Uh, also, we added going down swinging to the Naga Demon Hunter right before deck submission to Worlds, and that ended up being the best card in the deck. Uh, that was thanks to Ragfair. I'm just saying it last minute. We played like one test game and went, okay, this is nuts. Let's do it. Um, uh, yeah, that worked out. As a software developer, there's sometimes in the middle of the night I wake up and I'm like, I understand how to fix that bug. And hopefully I remember it in the morning or write it down. But I can almost picture you picture the same thing being like you're, you're asleep and then you wake up going down swinging. Need that. Yeah. Or, or, or deck no, change. No, did that actually. It was like 4 a.m. <laughs> I had trouble sleeping. I didn't even know Rekvam was awake. But like in prep for Worlds, we were bringing... Rekvam didn't end up being Naga Priest. But like 4 a.m. I just get a me- message from him that just says Pelagos before I forget. And then... <laughs> And then, yeah, the next day we tested Pelagos and Naga Priest and I ended up being in the in the deck for Worlds. So, what sort of talents or behaviors do you think it takes to get someone from legend to maybe a high legend and then to a top 20 legend? Like, what are you doing that everybody else isn't? How do we, how do people make those jumps? Uh, so, my, the first way I made the jump was I, I would always just play one deck. And it would be one deck that I really like. So I'd, I'd know that deck inside and out. Uh, that's the way I used to do ladder at the start. Before I... Like, you do this to the, at the start and then you get all around good is the way I feel. Like, I'm good at all decks now, but I start off only, like, learn one deck and then then things branch out. Um, so I used to only play, like, Mali Druid. And then when Mali Druid was good, then my rank would go up. And then I'd get more familiar with the, the high rank games while being in my comfort zone kind of thing. And just be okay with it while I was low ranked. And then over time, like, I'd be able to branch out to other decks. I'd be watching high level streams, talking to people, hearing their input on things. And, like, always, always be willing to take input. Because, like, even with winning worlds like i i have loads of blind spots that other people will be able to fill in you can't cover all bases yourself uh and that goes for every level obviously um but yeah for, for to start i just like i picked a meta deck that i like to play and i just learned it inside and out and that was the first way i climbed and then after that it's like it's 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 a comfort thing with 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 a lot of games because like if you get stressed about your rank you will play worse everyone will play worse like i would i would play worse than i could last year but i played well enough to rank up even though i was like miserably grinding through the night um having to win games and getting annoyed when i was on losing streaks but having to just keep pressing play anyway but like the best way the healthiest way is just like make sure you're learning the deck rather than you're learning you're worried about gaining ranks because like if you're playing a deck you like if you're playing a deck you know you will naturally rank up and if you're not ranking up that means you're doing one of those things wrong probably fair enough um do you have any other advice um specifically for someone that's trying to make that um try to compete because we like we had master store champion 2024 big 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 bet with that name right but uh Mm-hmm. He's trying to he's trying to do it, and we know there are other people that are out there that are trying to fill those spots from the the old guard retiring from competitive play. 
Any advice for them? Uh, it's like don't rush it, kind of thing. Because like obviously, twenty twenty four, he's put a date on it. But like for everyone, there's for almost all players, you go through a few years of not being that good before you actually make a big break. Like for me, I I had negative win rate in all my masters tours the first first year I competed. And then second year, I was going like 50-50, slightly positive. Then the third year, I won one. And then the fourth year, I won Worlds. That kind of thing. Like, most people will have a trajectory like that. So rushing anything is probably not going to be a healthy way. It's like try and... You need to get comfortable with competing before you do anything. Because you'll you'll have like a level of maybe imposter syndrome. Or if you don't, then you're way too confident. You're in good. Um but like you're not going to get success immediately so it's like not getting disheartened is a thing like THL was good for me last year as well because like it's a lower level than the Masters Tours but also keeping you in the mindset of prepare a tournament lineup keeping you in a competitive mindset of like getting used to games that sort of matter is is something different to just clicking play on ladder because if you click play on ladder you can get into a rut of just autopiloting games and then before you know it your rank's obliterated you haven't learned a thing and then you've just wasted loads of time if that's your goal one final thing before we get the final thoughts uh so i know you're doing the content creation you're doing your streaming have you ever thought of getting into coaching i know that i took a coaching from meaty uh, i had a ten dollar gamer sensei coupon and i hadn't hit legend yet mm-hmm. and i had the coaching with him and i remember like nothing he talked talked about really kind of was new to me but it was it kind of reinforced things that I know I probably hasn't been paying as much attention yeah. to. Then the next month I hit um Legend for the first time with Zelay uh Dragon Hunter. Um, which is that nice. So um but you I remember that day. You have a lot to give here. Have you ever thought about maybe um expanding into taking your name and um coaching? Maybe I'm I'm not so sure. Like it would take a lot of time out of streaming, is is the issue there. And like for me, I don't know how good I would be at directly teaching someone, so I wouldn't want to feel like I was being insincere with someone's time. You know, like I know what I know, but like being good at something and being able to convey that in a way to teach someone is obviously not the same thing. Like the way I've the way I've been doing stuff, I've like mostly just been competing, talking to like seasoned players in my practice groups as well. So a lot of things. It's hard to explain the basics, and you, it's hard to know how far back to go, right, in terms of explain, explaining the basics. Because some things, like, not in a rude way would sound, like, dumb if I were to explain to Fury Hunter, right, who, who's one of the people I talk to the most. But, like, if I'm talking to someone who hasn't hit Legend yet, I don't know. It's, it's hard, hard to get in touch with exactly what level they're at immediately. Uh, so I, I think coaching's probably not going to be quite my kind of thing. I like to try and explain what I'm doing on stream, but yeah, in terms of coaching itself, I'm not sure I would be comfortable with my own ability immediately to like charge money, and then it's it's quite a lot of investment to go into uh, if you're not comfortable from the start. And that's fair. It's like, how do you explain to somebody? what they don't know if you if it's like second language you're not even thinking about it and how do you recognize yeah. that and, and that makes a lot of sense um so do you have any final thoughts before we, before we um wrap this up uh me sure uh not, not so much i, I think i've i've, I've uh, 
I've blathered on quite a lot. I I, I do do quite uh, over-explain when I when I get asked a question. So I, I think I've probably covered. I think what we try to do here is like we brought you on to talk. Like that's exactly people don't want to hear from us. They hear from us every week. They want to hear from you. So like this is beautiful. But Doc, you have any other final uh, thoughts or questions before we move on? Um. Yeah. So where did the name Pocket Train come from? <laughs> so it's, it's a weird one. It's like. I don't like the name, to be honest. Um, it's when I explained when I got into the closed beta for Hearthstone. Like I, I got the email. I was at school. I was all excited to get home and play. But so when I was on my way home from school that day, one of my friends would always play a mobile game called Pocket Trains on the bus. So like when I got home, I had to make an account, and what's the first thing that came to mind? Pocket Train done. Uh, I just wanted to play the game and then it got a bit out of hand and now that's what people refer to me as. And I don't actually, you know, that guy who I said was my friend, he turned out to not be a very nice guy. I'm not, 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 too, not too keen on him. So it's a bit of a weird one to have hanging over me, but uh, it, it's fine. It is what it is. My, my, my kid played that in pocket, there's pocket trains, pocket plane. You could have been pocket plane. Um, they had a bunch of those. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't playing the game at the time. <laughs> well, anyway, doc, uh, that was a lot of information. I, I think our, our listeners are really going to learn a lot. I learned a lot, but I, I'm a little full. I think we have a little room for dessert, though. What do you think? Yeah, dessert sounds good. So, Focatrain, speaking of dessert, mm-hmm. what is your favorite dessert? I'm actually, I'm not massively into sweet stuff, but I, every time when I'm, when I'm out for dinner, I'll check the dessert menu. If there's cheesecake, I'll have cheesecake. If there's no cheesecake, I won't have anything, generally. But I, I, I love a good cheesecake. Awesome. Uh, listeners, please leave, leave us a review. Uh, give us an honest rating. We prefer five stars because it helps with visibility, but let us know what we're doing, the good, bad, the ugly, because we want to improve the show any way that we can. Um, Pocket Train, if people don't know how to find you on the internet, where and how can, where can they find you? Okay, well, my Twitter is pocket underscore train. Same with my Twitch account. And... Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's it. That's me. And uh, Tito, you can find me at Tito Santana on Twitch dot uh, Tito Santana HS on both Twitch and Twitter. And how about yourself, Doc? Uh, yeah, you can find me primarily on uh, Twitter and Blue Sky at Doc McButt. And once I can stream again, you can find me on Twitch at Doc McButt. Um. Pocket Train, is there anyone uh, you'd like to shout out? I mean, I've been... I mean, the, the, the only one relevant, really, is still, still my parents. Like, they're, they're the ones that uh, deserve all the credit with all the success I've had because, like, they, they let me just just do kind of nothing with my life and then there was success to, to repay it. So I, fate repaid is a, is a nice feeling. But, yeah. Perfect. Uh, Tito? Well, definitely, Pocket. Thank you for being here. A little behind baseball. Uh, Pocket's over in Europe. We record late at night, so that tends to be our problem getting some of our folks here. But um, me and Doc both happen to have the day off for a holiday, and Pocket was nice enough to join us, so uh, we really appreciate that. And that's pretty much it for me. How about yourself, Doc? Uh, Yeah, just, again, big thank you, Pocket Train. or coming on to our show like we're slightly newer show but it means a lot to have someone of your caliber um 
being willing to let us pick your brain for an hour and a half. So thank you so much. I think that's it. I think we're toast. We'll see you. Bye. Cheers. Slide two brothers meet one another when they slide up to the mic. It's bread and butter with one another. Let's start up that recording light.